All right, guys, thank you so much for coming back and listening to You're Your Biggest Critic podcast. I'm Maddie, and today we have a very special guest. Um, well, we have two, Brian and Holly Monday. They're from um, Vienna, Virginia, which is located right outside of D.C., um, and they are the founders of the Eric Monday Foundation. And I'm super excited about the topic that we're continuing from last week about mental health within athletes and mental health just within ourselves and how to be advocates um, for athletes, coaches, and vice versa, coaches to athletes. Um, so I'm going to let Holly and Brian kick it off and tell them a little bit about yourselves. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Brian Monday and um, the, uh, as, as Maddie noted that we started the Eric Monday foundation and it was, uh, you know, honestly it was in, in remembrance of the passing of my son, uh, who was an athlete competed in, uh, through college, uh, as a wrestler, uh, excellent lacrosse player and a wrestler. Um, and, but he took his life 12 years ago. Um, and one of the connections that we came back and focused on is that, you know, he had some mental health challenges. Um, as he was going through and, and his taking of his life was a culmination of a, uh, um, a perfect storm of events that happened. But one of the things that we noted was critical out there was that you have a network of people who understand and support. Uh, one of our hashtags is take down the stigma. And we believe that mental health has got to be an open conversation for, for everyone and particularly for athletes and coaches as he was going through his athletic career, we had two types of coaches I've, I've broadly characterized. Ones that really understood and supported through, and, uh, and he performed incredibly well for them, was a great teammate for him, helped build teams. And those that took a really hands-off approach, uh, more than hands-off, you know, did not want anything to do with any mental health challenges. And I think part of that came out of just ignorance, um, that, that there was not an understanding of what it was, how to deal with it, how to have a conversation, that it was okay to have a conversation on topics like this. Um, so uh, we have focused on, without, I want to get too long into it, but we, you know, we'll do this for some dialogue. Um, there's a special situation for athletes, and that is that they have unique stresses. Uh, there's no question about it. Happy to talk through some of those, um, but are the least likely to ask for help. Um, that combination makes it particularly uh, intense for athletes. Um, again, least likely to ask for help um, and have unique stresses as an athlete. And then the third part of that piece in there that is most critical is understanding is that, you know, outside of uh, maybe parents, um, for ad adolescents and young adults, um, that the coach may be the single most important adult in their life during that period of time, because you're trying to do something special. They're trying to do compete at a very high level at many times. We're trying to be compete as part of a team and push themselves to another level. And therefore that person they're spending the most time with that adult they're spending the most time with is oftentimes the coach. Uh, and as a consequence, that relationship has to be one that works from a mental health standpoint from an ability to have the conversation or as we say, take down the stigma. Yeah, no, I like those, all those points we're going to get into further um, as the episode goes on, but thank you. Holly, would you like to add anything? 
sorry. Sorry. Um, no, I think the the other aspect in the area probably where I tend to focus a lot is just connecting the parents with all of the discussions between the athlete and the coach. So we also have a strong initiative in building out a speaker series where about four times a year, we try to bring in uh, guest host folks to talk to our parent community uh, and just bring about, it's more awareness. We're not experts in this topic. We have a lot of experience working through it, but uh, my thing is just always kind of trying to bring parents into the fold of that conversation as well. I like how we have two aspects on the podcast we have from like the coaches with Brian and then from the parents with Holly. So let's just kind of get into it. Um, So like, what do you think, or I guess I could start off. Why do you think some coaches have a hands-off approach, which is a really good word for it? Because on the other podcast with Coach Barkley, I didn't know what to call it because I didn't want to offend any coaches if maybe they felt like this. But why do you think coaches have a hands-off effect or hands-off effect with mental health because of the stigma? Yes. But what else do you think plays into that? Because sometimes you see your coach more than you see your own family. I know in high school, I saw my coaches and teachers way more than I saw my family. I was in school from 720 to 245 to practice from three to 530. So, you know, why do you think that is? So, so uh, you know, I'll answer the question directly. The, um, I think many coaches, and this is part of the training we've developed and why it's targeted to coaches, mm-hmm. is that they don't know how to engage on that topic. There's a fear. Uh, frankly, it's a fear. Um, the fear is that if I step into this area that I don't know much about, maybe I'll create more harm or more problems. Um, there's a second part too, and, and this is more negative and it says that many coaches say, you know, I, I want try to put my best team on the field. I don't have time for this. And I've literally had seen in situations, even in college, people would come in, recruited division one athletes and, you know, had a problem. Um, and a coach immediately washed their hands of the player. Um, so well, I don't have time for this. Um, and that's the most disturbing but I think the vast majority really is they don't know how to engage in conversation. You know, we teach a simple tool for them to be able to engage and give some background pieces. And the simple tool is listen, accept, support, uh, refer, and then you know, ultimately report. So that's a broader combination. Listen so that you really have a genuine listening conversation. Um, a conversation, you know, a conversation where you're not trying to fill it, where you're not trying to give direction because somebody who's going through a crisis, their personal experience is their personal experience. So we teach them to accept, mm-hmm. accept it as their validation. They don't need to set a record straight. They don't need to correct. They don't need to say it's going to be okay. In fact, that can almost be discouraging for somebody who's going through crisis. Uh, but just to accept their story that they're hearing in there. Um, support to say, look, we're here for you. We're here for you. I'm here for you. Uh, your teammates are here for you. That's the simplest way to go through it, but it can be much more than that too, to say, you know, listen, we're here for the check-ins. We're here for the touch bases in there. And then refer, hopefully refer to somebody if it's truly a crisis situation, um, counselor, psychologist, um, someone else that is known to refer to, and then you know, report to make sure 
that others are aware of the situation. So there's a common piece, you know, of people trying to support in there. Anyway, so I, I jumped into that a little bit early. But no, I like that because Coach Barkley said last week that, yes, could like I'm here for you as a coach, but also I'm not the end resource. She said that, which I loved because I think maybe some coaches try and take on being that end resource. And that's when maybe there's a disconnect and they're like, oh, well, if I can't help you, then hands off approach or, you know, like you said, I don't have time for this. Um, and so I like how Coach Barkley and you just said like, I'm here to help you. Yes. And I want, you can come talk to me anytime, but I'm not the end resource. I will like give you another resource, you know, like a psychiatrist, a therapist, maybe we all talk with your parents. Um, so I like how you said that. Yeah. Trusted advisors are great sources. Parents can be great sources. Obviously therapists can be great sources, um, you know, in there. Uh, and, but, but here's another little follow-up piece of uh, well, follow-up it is that once you engage in that conversation, you have to follow up as a coach. You have to know that because the last thing we want is somebody, you know, bearing their soul, honestly, of some real struggles that they're having and then not having any follow-up conversation on that. It feels like another failure, what may feel like a string of failures going on in their life at the time. Uh, you know, that's often the situation where you find, you know, for instance, with a depression uh, in there, that's the mental thinking that goes in there. So coaches also have to take the responsibility to continue to follow up. Follow up is a simple thing uh, often. Hey, did you check in? Have that conversation go, hey, anything I should be aware of as we're going through these things. But it set, dem demonstrates a continued level of caring in there. Um, I wanted to bring out one other thing in that, um, and this is, I say, as much for coaches, but I also say for athletes to understand, because in many cases, athletes need to step in and be the coach of the moment, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, the friend of the moment, all these things. Adolescents, young adults, 49% go through some form of mental health challenge um, during those periods of time, 49%. So we're not talking, you know, oftentimes when I give a lecture, I gave a lecture recently with um, naval officers and, um, and um, you know, enlisted uh, officers, uh, you know, out at the San Diego Naval Base. Um, and I made the point, I made half of the room stand up. And half of the room, any room, a group that you're dealing with, it's sometime. Doesn't mean that they're in that moment. Doesn't mean that it hasn't been resolved. Doesn't mean it's a crisis. But it does mean a huge percentage of any team is going through some mental health challenge at some time. Um, and that's the other reason that we have to take down the stigma and let people be aware that there's an active conversation out there that it's okay to talk about mental health challenges. Yeah, I, I like that because I think, and I really try to preach on my podcast, like be open. Um, we have social media, let's use it. You can DM a person, you can um, reach out to somebody, like let's all be kind humans and let's all be advocates for others because sometimes people don't feel like they have a voice. Some people just feel so alone that they feel like they're at their end. And if maybe they're at that end one day and they get a DM saying, hey, I was thinking about you, hope you're doing well. And it changes their whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you think social media plays a role on a sports team with mental health? Have you seen that play a role in it or, and Holly, like you can, um, chime in if you want to about like maybe how parents can handle, um, with mental health. Cause I know there's a lot of different parenting approaches. There's a lot of 
well, just get over it, get back in the game, you're fine approach. There's Mm -hmm. the coddling approach. And then there's, you know, everything in between, you know, I'm not a parent, I don't know anything about parenting. But would you say maybe parents who are harder on their kids have more mental health or how, how do parents just play a role in, role in it? I think it's um, continuing the conversation off the field, mm-hmm. but also around the dinner table and just letting, if you've had a bad day, it's okay to say, you know, I had a really bad day or I really just, I hate what I'm doing right now. You don't have to dwell on it. Um, But I think kids, uh, as parents, we want to protect our children. That's just so natural uh, in in so many ways. But sometimes if you don't have the conversation or that they don't know that it's normal, you can say, gosh, I'm just feeling really crappy about what happened today or, you know, something like that, or my, oh my gosh, I just failed so poorly at something at work. Um, I think having those conversations are really important around the dinner table and not so much even just, okay, we're going to have a big family meeting to talk about mental health. I mean, it almost needs to be like, oh, I just, you know, it's an everyday thing. And I think it's important and that just needs to build over time. Um, it's not anything that you can totally change that culture. Brian talks a lot, and you might want to touch on this and kind of building the culture uh, within the team. It's kind of building the culture within your family as well. It, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but I think parents can play a really important role that way. Failure is failure. It's a gift. It's okay. You can learn from it. And I think kids need to understand that. We're not all going to get a trophy yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, our, our, our middle son used to play chess and his chess coach or teacher would always say, if you lost today, you learn the most. And I, that quote has always resonated with me. I love that. Yeah. I really love that. I was um, doing another podcast with a friend and she said like something about like, Failures is what makes us. If we don't fail, we're like not learning. Yeah. Or she said something along those lines. I have the quote, but um, it was really good because like if we never fail, then we're we're really not learning because how can we pull ourselves back up if we don't ever fall? Yeah. And it's the same with with emotions. I think it's and I kind of dove into that failure parallel, but I think it's, you know, with emotions, it's okay to be sad and it's okay to just, you know say, you know, I'm just have a sad day. Um, I'm going to work through it or you will work. You can work through it. I mean, I think that's what kids want to hear. Yeah. Validating feelings, I think is so big because sometimes um, from what I've seen, um, sometimes like being in a sport, people are like, well, you're supposed to be mentally tough. Like you're okay. Like keep going. And, but really sitting down and validating those feelings and be like, it's okay to have a bad game or it's okay that you missed that goal or missed your time um, during your time trials, like get back up and do it tomorrow and you can do it type conversations, I think will be very beneficial for families. One of the things that we advocate is uh, the teaching of resiliency. Um, and that can be taught, uh, you know, is, you know, one of the great parts about athletics to begin with is the simple thing that as you come in athletics, you will fail. 
you know, somewhere along the way, you will have failures in every game. You're going to have failures. Um, and there is a good teaching aspect of that. Uh, you know, we have borrowed, you know, the concepts of the resiliency wheel, uh, which I don't have, I'm not going to put up here or anything, but the, um, you know, actually athletics does a tremendous job in that and helping that out. And it's proven that as you build these resiliency factors, that people are much stronger over time, have less major problems. And resilience is built through providing the opportunities for meaningful participation, big check in athletics, increasing pro, what they call pro-social bonding. You know, when a team's running right and you got the positive things going on, it's a great atmosphere to be in. Uh, the setting clear and consistent boundaries. Well, those clearly get set in an athletic team about what you can and can't do. Uh, teaching life skills, sometimes not as well on that. Um, but I think the great coaches go around teaching those things, taking a moment, stopping a moment to give a focus on there, providing caring and support. Um, again, building the right culture within a team provides a real supportive enclave so people that f- fall down feel like they're going to get picked up. And that's a huge part of it is being able to feel like you're going to get picked up. And then lastly, to set and communicate high expectations. And clearly another one that's just absolutely part of the team environment. Um, what, you know, again, they found is there's uh, in studies, you know, less, uh, uh, you know, abusive alcohol or drug use, um, less, um, you know, uh, destructive activities, uh, less uh, problems, uh, honestly, with mental health as you build those types of resiliency in there. Uh, I want to come back to one other point that you're making, and that's the, uh, you know, social media. And so I think it's a great topic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, the, one of the things I would say is that the uh, sports have a number of huge stressors that are out there. And this is one of the things we talk about. Um, you know, most people don't face the issue if they're not playing in a sport of, you know, being cut um, or losing a role on the team or not starting anymore. Um, you know, conversely, um, on that one topic, um, yeah, the one by the name of Deb Wilson helped us put these pieces together and, you know, what we talk about. She was um, uh, assistant athletic director at George Mason University. Um, she heads the NCAA sexual assault uh, task force. She is on the NCAA uh, mental health committee. Um, but she was one of the very first sports psychologists. And one of the things she said, they opened it up and said, look, we got a sports psychologist. We're here to help uh, on things and, you know, had coaches help participate, you know, push, you know, uh, play in there. And most athletes were comfortable coming to talk about sports psychologists, about ways to improve their game. 80% of the time when they came in, there was an underlying mental health issue that was going on and had an opportunity to get addressed out there again. Half your population, 49% has had challenges. And then uh, you give it a venue to come in and talk about improving the sport. But they wanna, don't want to come in and talk about, you know, they're struggling, especially if their coaches wear, because that's going to impact playing time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a stressor piece. Uh, sometimes people leave sport not allowed to leave with dignity on that, especially in a mental health situation. You know, what an incredible stressor that is. Um, you know, they're, you know, Teams are, you know, beds for conflict. It's nature. Your competitors, your heavy competitors on that. Sometimes that comes with coaches. Uh, there's uh, concussions that come, and concussions do have a material effect that, you know, the studies have showed. 
um, you know, we're recovering from an injury. If you're being sidelined on something, on something you've worked so hard for, you've worked years on trying to do it, and you're coming into a primo season, and all of a sudden you're injured on the early side or can't play for whatever reason, that is an incredible stressor in there. Um, we talk about fear of failure or fear of success. Um, so this goes back to the social media piece in there. Uh, you know, a lot of people do have that fear of failure and, and it just over motivates them uh, because there's a risk of having a poor performance and, and have the public humiliation and social media is an incredible magnification of that. Uh, you know, and similarly, some of them are geared so tight that they're afraid of success and all the implications and the burdens that come with success. Um, or, you know, just there's some other, there's a number of pieces that could take you into fear of success. I mentioned some of those, and there's actually more that come in being an athlete that people need to focus on and just understand that comes with it, the unique stressors um, that are being an athlete. And with social media, the incredible compact magnifying effect, um, especially on a, an event, a poor performance, or, you know, honestly, something being taken out of context, as we all know. Yeah, social media, I mean, as much as I love it, it, I mean, it's tearing our world apart. I mean, through, I mean, through athletes, because I'm sure they're looking at other athletes and being like comparison, Mm -hmm. which I think comparison is a thief of joy, which I'm so guilty of it. Um, people look, I mean, people can be really mean on social media and they can comment under your posts and be like, wow, you're a D one, but you're not playing, you know, um, people hide behind screens. And so I think also that really plays in mental health and how we view ourselves. Cause if we view ourselves poorly, then, you know, we're going to portray poorly, but if we view ourselves highly, then we can portray how we feel and then that will be on the field. So like, if we are like, okay, we can do it, you know, positive, then we're going to give those positive vibes out to our team and maybe reach out to somebody who we normally don't. But if we feel bad about ourselves because of a comment, then maybe we aren't going to reach out. And maybe we are going to like shell ourselves off and be like, oh, I'm a failure. And that can go down a really deep tunnel. But with that being said, how, how would you address people who say mental health is not real? I've heard that recently Mm -hmm. and, um, I, I myself don't know how to really address that because of course I know it's real. Um, I think, like you said, mental health has such a stigma around it. We need to be mentally tough. We need to just get over it. We have bigger things in the world that are happening. Um, so how would you address maybe to somebody who doesn't think mental health is real? You know, that's that's a difficult question. We, we live in an environment where people um, uh, make up things, um, you know, you, you, you know, without getting too far off into another topic, um, you know, people who are using vaccine and, and vaccine fears up right now, um, I find disturbing, you know, some of the stories that are being set out there um, and, you know, and it's hysteria. Uh, I don't know how you do that. You know, one of the things I would come back with simply is, you know, that, you know, okay, let's go to what the CDC statistics are. So, and, and you can take simple statistics of diagnosis levels. Um, you know, young adults, uh, adolescents, 32% uh, presented with anxiety orders at some time, 20% with depression. Um, 
you know, 19% with behavioral disorders, 11% with substance abuse. And that obviously, you know, sometimes substance abuse comes simply out of self-medicating for some issues that are underlying in there. Uh, not sure that I, I know that, um, but I think that's, you know, one of the great parts of where we are today versus 25 years ago mm-hmm. is I think much better understanding of that. I think that, uh, you know, with Michael Phelps and the um, uh, Osaka uh, coming out uh, and, you know, saying, listen, I've got to step back on that. It's real issue. Leaders um, in their sports. Um, I think there's an, an incredible understanding on that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the simple answer on that. You know, I was actually that's uh, one of the first times I've heard that pushed out there. Uh, but I'm not saying that it hasn't happened out there. We're in a crazy world today. No, yes. Um, I just, I wanted to get y'all's opinions on it because, you know, we're a podcast and we like different opinions. And um, I've only heard it once or twice, but I'm like, how can you not believe it's not real? People are suffering. People are alone and feel alone. And um, so, yes, of course, to anybody who's listening, we all think mental health is real just um and what would you say to maybe a suffering um someone who's maybe suffering from anxiety or depression or OCD who is an athlete um what kind of words would you give um them so um you know it you know it's worth going through and having the conversation you know, if it's getting to severe level with a professional, but there's a trusted advisor network, you know, that goes out there. So many aspects of mental health can just be the good trusted advisor conversations, find people to ground with um, are a huge part. There are some like chemical imbalances, like a schizophrenia that that's not, an, you know, a relative answer on, but 95% of it, and I'm making that number up. I don't know that that's the exact number, but um, you know, mental health issues, uh, are addressable, um, you know, and sometimes with, you know, medical support, um, but other times just, you know, trusted advisors, friends, therapists to get perspective on thing. It's part of growing in there. You know, sometimes it takes peeling, peeling back. Um, it's worth taking the journey to peel back where some of the issues came from. Um, what people have found is that, um, there are actually risk triggering events in there. Um, you know, number one at the list, if, if anyone's been ever been a victim of sexual assault, you know, of any kind, that's male or female, uh, by the way. Um, hazing and bullying figure the same one. You know, there's some studies that have been done that 71% of the time that, you know, hazing and bullying has occurred, um, there are negative consequence outflows from it. 71% of the time. It's an astounding number. And 30-some percent become really fairly serious uh, about the impacts that go through that. You know, we tend to underestimate it and, you know, brush it off. Say, ah, yeah, they're just messing with you, tough it off. Uh, but they really can have major impact points in there. And so, you know, if, if I'm giving this conversation to someone, it's okay to have the journey. It's okay to have a conversation. It's okay to have your conversation with multiple people, uh, trusted advisors, Find someone who can, you know, give some help and perspective um, in there. Uh, oftentimes, it's not as complicated um, to go, but it does have to be an open conversation because the more it gets buried, the more it knots up, the more it becomes problematic. 
um, if it left a faster, uh, you know, over time in there. Um, anything you want to add, Holly? I, yeah, I, um, I'll just concur with Brian in a, in a big way. I think um, just encouraging folks to be transparent where they are with, mm -hmm. if, it, if it's just one person. And if you're on the other side of that and suspect you've got concern with a friend, I think it's you um, really just kind of continuing to peel back that onion. And it, sometimes it takes sharing something about yourself and being vulnerable yourself with that friend for them to feel comfortable in that environment. You know, you might have to uh, give before you get, I guess is, is one way you could say it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's important to let people know it's okay because the more you push it down, um, the more it can potentially fester. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank Brian and Holly Monday for joining us today on the topic on how to take down the stigma. Um, do you guys have any last words before we head off? Yeah, you know, I'll give a last one final topic piece that I wanted to mention. Um, you know, some of your people may come into those situations of truly a crisis. Um, you know, you can't talk mental health and not talk suicide because it's one thing that nobody can come back from. Mm -hmm. um, if you find situations where people are relentlessly talking about, I can't take anymore. I just want it to stop. Who cares if I'm alive or dead anymore? Take those situations seriously. And if that's the case, you got to ask, are you considering harming yourself? It's a simple question. It's called the suicide question. There are many ways to ask it. Uh, but the simplest way is, are you considering harming yourself or others um, in there? And if you can't ask that question, because many people can't ask mm -hmm. that question. And, you know, it's a tough question to ask, especially yeah. someone you're close to. Find somebody else you can. Mm -hmm. Find them right now um, and hold them till they're safe in that situation. I didn't want to leave the topics today without at least pushing that there. Because you don't increase risk by asking the question. And that's one of the people, one of the things that many people get confused about. If you ever have a situation like that, ask the question or find someone to ask the question, and you're not increasing the risk by asking. In fact, if you don't ask the question as somebody trusted in their life, you're probably saying, I don't really care enough to ask that question, even if that's clearly not probably your intent. Um, it's an important thing to keep in mind in there. Uh, make sure that you ask the question. It's a safe thing to do. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, Brian is in Las, wait, where are you again? Las, Las Vegas. Las yeah. Vegas. Holly's joining us from Vienna, Virginia. I'm in Raleigh. So I really um, appreciate y'all's time. And I can't wait for everybody to hear this episode. Remember, if you feel alone, there are so many resources and that you are not alone. I want everybody to go be kind humans and that we are all in this together. Thank you guys so much for joining us and see you guys Thanks. next week. Bye guys. Thanks, Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.